episode 62 of Off Script with Trish Close, intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Mark Dennett. Hello, Mark Dennett. Hello there. I asked you before we started, hey, what's your official title? And you said... I don't have one. You don't have one. So this is Mark Dennett with no official title. Welcome to Thank Unscript. You. Thank you. You do own a company, though. I own a company. Called? Uh, the Dennett Consulting Group. And before then, before I started that in 1999, I was a partner in an ad agency here called Laurel Communications. So That's I, right. You were. Uh, I remember you specifically. I did. Um, you were actually a suggestion for me. Wow. By Kingsley Kelly. Well, I'm, Kingsley is an old, dear friend. <laughs> Kingsley Kelly is our general manager here at KTVL. He said, you know who you should interview? Mark Dennett. And he told me why. I'll get to that later. Okay. Um, but then I was like, oh, I remember Mark. He did a political poll for us years ago. Yes, I did. Yeah. I'm still doing political polling right now. Yeah. Okay. And, and research. I do a lot. Um, my business started off doing a lot more uh, marketing consulting and, okay. and so forth. But now the Dennett Consulting Group does about 90% of our work is uh, mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Someone this morning said, who are you interviewing today for your podcast? And I said, Mark Dennett. And they go, who's he? And I said, you know, he's just really smart. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'm really no, smart. No, you are. You are. Um, we also, we have to touch on the fact that I know your kid, Chris yep, Dennett. Chris. For those of you listening, Chris Dennett, owner of Elements Tapas in downtown Medford and Beer Works. Yes. Also a super smart kid. Well, yeah. Super smart Alec, too. Yeah. He, no, he's a, he's, a, he's a great young man and um, uh, and Good works really hard. Works really hard. And I know he knows you well and yeah. has wonderful things to say about you. Oh, that's nice, yeah. Chris Dennett. Uh, we love the Dennett's, so um, very dear friends of ours. All right, Mark, we're going to kick it off with my favorite question. Where are you from originally? Well, you know, it's, people ask me that, and my father was a career naval officer. Mm -hmm. So I like to say I lived in 16 places by the time I was 16. Wow. So that's pretty close. I think my sister says maybe 14, and it wasn't 16. But it sounds better when you say oh, yeah. 16 after 16. 16 but has a nice roundness exactly. to it. But I moved all over. Uh, my fa Again, uh, my father was a career naval officer. I lived on the East coast uh norfolk uh key west florida mm. washington dc uh but in about 1956 um i moved out to san diego and that's my dad was stationed there and um so i kind of i kind of say that i grew up in san diego okay but until frankly until i moved to southern Cal uh, southern oregon i had never lived any place for more than two years in my life wow yeah so i just constantly moved did you have a favorite you know, I certainly loved San Diego. Yeah. Uh, that was probably my, my favorite, just the one I remember. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a small town called Coronado. It now has a bridge over it, but when I yeah. was growing up, we had a, a, we had a ferry. And uh, one of the more interesting things is that when I turned 16 and I had to get my driver's license, I had to take the ferry over to San Diego to see a stoplight. Because no way. we had no stoplights. And my dad was teaching me. He says, well, you know, you have to learn how to get in the right lane. And I said, what's a stoplight? I said, we don't, we didn't have stoplights. We had a couple of stop signs, but we had no stoplights. Sounds <laughs> kind of nice, actually. It was great. You know, growing up in Coronado, and it was basically a military town. Uh -huh. So almost every single person in the school was uh, the military. Uh, a military brat, but it was it was kind of like May Mayberry, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you walked, you went sailing, you went, walked to the beach, and went surfing, and 
You know, you walk Sounds everywhere, amazing. and you know, your parents just said, "Hey, you know, be home by di- dinner time." But right. they never worried. No, they don't. They didn't care. They didn't care. I mean, it was an island. I mean, right. you know, very few people would get to it. It's not. It was a peninsula, but it was. Sure. It's called an island. Do you remember anything about Key West? Living in Key West? No. In fact, it was funny because a couple of years ago, um, I took a big RV trip and I went back to mm-hmm. uh, Norfolk. And I do remember. Only thing I remember about that was. Our, wherever our house was, we walked across the street and then went to the beach. And I loved the beach. And so I tried to find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little difficult after 50-something years, you know. <laughs> so uh, Key West is very crowded now. I just don't remember. I remember it was really fun. I remember the long bridge ride yeah. to get there. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought Key West was a cool place, and uh, but again, we only lived there for a couple of years, or maybe a year, and then my dad got transferred. So, did you find that you were you went to a lot of schools then? Yep. Okay. Did you find you got really good at making friends? Yeah. Well, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, people uh, ask me, do I have a lot of friends? And I say, no, but I have a lot of acquaintances. Mm-hmm. And like in high school, I think I was named the friendliest kid in my class, you know. And I realized that because you move. I never really invested a lot sure. in long-term relationships. Why? Why? Uh, you know, and one of the funnier things, I think, is that my, I married my second wife, uh, Marty, is from Broken Bow, Nebraska. Now, that's in the middle of Nebraska. And her best friends, she, which are still friends, they come visit us all the time, she's known from the second and third grade. I can't even remember the school mm-hmm. I went to in mm-hmm. the second and third grade. That's so interesting. I have my husband and I talk about friendships a lot. I feel like we have a lot of good friends, but I feel like those really solid friendships are very hard to come by. Yeah, and I think that's true. And I think for for uh, military kids, mm-hmm. uh, it's really hard because again, they they move. Now, in my like senior high school class. I think we had 198, so we we're a relatively small mm-hmm. school. Uh, 20 of us had were freshmen. The rest of them all left because you had a two-year tour of duty. Right. And so very seldom did freshmen graduate from Coronado High School. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, but you, you become really friendly and you quickly make surface friendships sure. and warm friendships. But, you know, lasting friendships, those are really hard. Does that, really does that bum you out now, no, thinking no, about it? No, not really. No. You know, but it, it's, it's, just it a rea- it's just a reality. And um, But, you know, you grow up very gregarious, and yeah. so that's been very good for a career and for things that I've done. For sure. And um, I passed it on to my son, I think. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> no, um, I say this all the time. I went to three different high schools uh, yeah. in South Carolina, two different ones, and then I moved to Vegas. And... Um, same thing. I got really good at making friends, but I never really had that group of, you know, girlfriends or whatever. Right. That, and so yeah. I am jealous of, of other, you know, females and males who have that kind of like group of yeah. of people that were their squad. Yeah. You know, and we moved to uh, we moved to Southern Oregon in 1984 mm-hmm. when Chris was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just fascinating to me that he he's grown up here and he has friends from the, t- you know, he's known 10 years I old. I know. And I find that just kind of like really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. We actually talked about that in our podcast that he, he essentially grew up in Southern Oregon. Grew up, totally grew mm-hmm. up. And, you know, I remember uh, coaching his soccer team at Roosh 
and I knew Aww. I knew nothing about soccer, and uh, <laughs> it was hilarious. But I thought, well, I can coach, I guess. And um, mm. but yeah, and he went to elementary school in Jacksonville. Yeah, and uh, I love a, that. Yeah. So anyway, very different. He but he definitely grew up, and I thought he would leave eventually because he's traveled all over the world. Right. But he. Decided he wanted to come back. Yeah. Build and a business. And for those, we're not going to talk about Chris this entire <laughs> podcast. This is about you, Mark Dennett. But I did interview Chris Dennett on off script. So I, I don't know. I don't remember the episode. But if you're listening and want to listen about Chris, it's definitely on here. Yeah. One thing I will say about him, and then we're going to get off the Chris Dennett topic. Do not play Scrabble with that guy. Oh, no. Don't. <laughs> no. No. If you want to feel really stupid and really kind of bad about yourself, then play Scrabble with him. Yeah. But I do not recommend no, it. No, do not recommend it. Yeah. Do and not. I think the more dr beer he drinks, the better he gets at I, it. I, I, I think that's <laughs> kind of true. I think that's kind of true. All right. Chris Dennett, love you. So um, you grew up with a sibling or siblings? I have a sister who okay. is uh, three years older. And she lives in uh, Pasadena, California. Okay. And she was a teacher and uh, was a teacher for 32 years and then retired. Nice. And um, what what made you move to Southern Oregon? Well, it, it's interesting. Um, my career before I moved up here is, um, <laughs> this is interesting for people who, you know, a lot of people don't know how you start careers. And for me, I... Uh, I was just looking for a job I'd gotten out of the Navy. I was a public affairs officer in the Navy. I actually, Trish, majored in broadcast journalism. So Did you I, really? I wanted to be Kingsley. I wanted to be a general manager of a television station. Okay, hold on. Wait, time out. We got to go back. So <laughs> you, you're in high school and you enlist in the Navy? Well, sure. I was in high school. Uh, this is interesting. I was in high school. And at that time, I really loved theater. Okay, I was president of the thespians and love, love, and I wanted to become an actor. And I remember at that time, the Pasadena Playhouse was just going into a four-year college program, and they offered me a scholarship. And I was very excited. So I went sure. to my dad and, you know, and said, hey, dad, guess what? You know, I'm going to go to this performing arts college. And he looks at me and goes, no, you're not. And I said, what? So I'm not going to pay anything for you to become an actor. Oh, and I went, really? Said I said, oh, well, okay. So I didn't take the scholarship, and so I was looking for, so what, I, what I'm going to major in. And so I looked at all the things that I'm interested in. I said, yeah, I love television. I love, I love, uh, I just love everything about television. So I said, oh, I could major in broadcast journalism, and the University of Oregon has one of the best journalism schools on the West Coast. The, the number one was Missouri. And I said, oh, I'll go to the University of Oregon. Now, I had never actually visited Oregon. Okay. So my best friend in high school uh, said, oh, I go to Oregon all the time, and it's sunny and beautiful. You'll love it. And it's green. It's got all these trees. And so he and I flew up to Eugene to go to school, and it was start. It was raining, and it rained for about three months. And I remember turning to him and saying, I thought you came up here all the time. He says, well, I always spent my summers up here. I said, but you've never spent any other time but the summer? And I went, it's wet and rainy, and it's miserable, and miserable. it's gray, and I don't like it. I'm from San Diego. Right, I need sunshine. And sunshine, and... Um, but I loved the school, uh -huh. and I loved uh, broadcast journalism, and um, I had gotten a job with uh, actually King Television in Seattle. Yeah. 
um, and I was a junior, and I was doing a lot of television production. And uh, I was about so excited. I said, oh, I'm going to graduate and move to Seattle. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh -huh. And I'll be a producer and a writer. Uh -huh. And then the Navy said, no, you're going to go. We're going to draft you. Gotcha. So um, I thought, well, if I get drafted in the Army and I'm either going to die in Vietnam or when I come home to my career naval father, he will probably kill me because we have nobody in our family goes in the army they always go in the navy right. so i said okay i guess i'll go into officer candidate school mm -hmm. so um i uh, enlisted and went to officer candidate school and then uh, graduated and then went to defense information school in in indianapolis okay okay i got it which was really fun because first of all it's six weeks on an army base and I'm a naval officer, so they leave you alone. And I'm st I'm reviewing what I learned in four years. I mean, I came out number one in my class because, well, it's and I could drink every night and have a good time. Fantastic! And <laughs> I love it. It was super. Anyway. So so funny because I was a theater nerd in high school, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to Broadway. I yeah. wanted to sing. I wanted to dance. I wanted to act. And my mom was like, "Okay, here's the thing." Let's think about something that you could do that doesn't require something that you could probably be homeless and poor exactly. for a long time. Um, and I looked up broadcast journalism, and then I started doing live reports at, at, in the cafeteria at lunch just because I, that's it. I fell in love with this idea of being a, a journalist. Yeah, and I did too. And, and isn't it fascinating because yeah. it is performance, but it's more controlled performance I mean right. and and also I just and that's one of the reasons why I think I love research so much I just loved learning about people yeah and this is a great their story I just love listening to people I Same. just find people fascinating Same. and um, I said oh well in journalists I can just interview people and write stories and mm -hmm. that's really cool yeah and I, I tried to be on the air but um, I wasn't as good as you <laughs> I wasn't good as anyone Actually, do you do you remember a guy named Mike Donahue? Yes. Okay, Mike Donahue ended up being a very very prominent Portland. Yeah. Okay. So I was a producer of um, a TV cable TV. University of Oregon mm -hmm. had its own system, and I remember that we were trying to find somebody to do uh, the newscast, which I was producing and writing with a friend of mine, who ended up having a huge career with ABC in San Francisco, Lucille Clark. And Lucille and I are both trying to find somebody to be an anchor. Mm -hmm. And this 17-year-old Mike Donahue comes in. Like his first, I mean, he's never never did this. And he sits down. I said, Mike, well, just read this. And Lucille and I look at you and says, my goodness, this guy is going to go really, really far in this. 17? 17 years old, freshman. And oh, wow. we go, yeah, you got the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't pay, of course, we're all students. But I said, you're really, really good. And wow. watch him in four years after I had graduated, and then he went on. But it's yeah. just interesting. And I hadn't, I haven't seen Mike since, like, the 60s. So, yeah. That's wild. But 17. Anyway. Yeah. So you – okay, now we can go back to San Diego. You are – 
what makes you make the move from San Diego to Southern Oregon? You were saying well, this occupation. Occupation primarily. So I, I came up to Oregon to go to college. Right. And then after I graduated from college, I got was going to get drafted. So right. I went in the, the Navy as a public affairs officer. And then when I got out of that, I actually was looking for a job down in Los Angeles because that's where I was living. And I um, did a uh, saw an ad for a, a copywriter for an in-house advertising agency for Western Airlines. Western okay. merged with Delta Airlines, uh, and I said, "Oh, I well, you know, I'm a journalist, but I can be a copywriter. Sure. I can, I can write. I can do that." And so I, you know, I get I get an interview. And um, I remember they said, well, you know, I think we want to hire you, but do you have any samples of anything you've written, like in advertising? Mm -hmm. I said, oh, of course I do. I just didn't bring them with me, but I can bring them tomorrow. You liar. <laughs> so I went home and stayed up all night writing ads. <laughs> and I remember I crumpled them up because I wanted to look like these were drafts. Nice. And um, so I go back and I said, you know, I don't really have a lot of my original stuff. I just have some samples uh -huh. here. And he looks at it and he says, oh, you can write. Great, you have the job. Excellent. Yeah. So, so Western Airlines. So Western Airlines, and, and probably the reasons that many people know me up here is that I was uh, involved in creating the first frequent flyer program in America. Yes. Yeah. This is this is what Kingsley told me. This yeah. is so amazing. Yeah. So Western later uh, merges with Delta. Yes. Okay. So at the time, you were a copywriter for this airlines, but how did this frequent flyer program, Well, I, I mean, this is the frequent yeah. flyer program model that all airlines All use. airlines have used since. So uh, basically- what year was this, sorry? You know, 1980. Okay. 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 So in 1980, I had worked my way up. I was now manager, I think, of creative services. Okay. okay. So I was responsible for brochures and anything other than radio and TV ads. So, you know, banners and right. multimedia slideshows on Hawaii, you, know, you name it. If it didn't deal with exactly advertising, radio, like radio, TV, or print, mm -hmm. our little department did that. Okay. And so I was having lunch with the ad agency manager for in uh, uh, having lunch with him and we weren't doing very well we were losing our you know we weren't doing mm -hmm. well in 1980 we were losing about a million dollars a day yikes yeah and so i remember we went out and had lunch and we were just we were saying oh my goodness i wish we could come up with an idea that would save this company because i you know I said, I can't think of anything. And I said, Andy, can you? And Andy, that's his name. And he goes, well, I, 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 don't, I can't think of a thing. So anyway, I said, okay, well, I got to wash my car before I get back. So let's just stop by the car wash. So we stop in this car wash and Marina Del Rey. And we're in this car wash and they give us a punch card that says, okay, well, you know, the fifth car, the fifth wash will be free. And Andy goes, gosh, I w wish airline marketing was just that simple. And Andy and I, then I, we stop. Bingo. We go, you know, uh, why can't it? Why couldn't we give somebody a benefit if they fly with us more often? And therefore, fares and, you know, your schedule wouldn't be important. You know, we, and we would be giving an award to the people who fly the most, our frequent flyers. And he goes, that's really cool. So anyway... Uh, and he goes back to the agency and he comes up with some ideas and I come up with some ideas and we pitch this to 
to Western and said, we want to create a frequent flyer program that would reward our most frequent flyers. And it was fascinating that the first response we got mm -hmm. was from our bosses and from the senior vice president of marketing, why would you want to give rewards to people who already fly with us? And I said, well, because they're our best customers. Wouldn't you want your best customers to be more loyal? Yeah. Uh, well, they're already loyal. I said, no, but they could be even more loyal. Sure. And they wouldn't be terribly concerned about fares or anything. Maybe we could get a little bit more money out of them. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, they finally reluctantly say, okay, you could test it on one route between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Now, that's a good idea, but we didn't know how we were going to do this. <laughs> so, so they said, okay, Mark, you're going to be in charge of the, the group that develops this. I said, okay. And so we have to, first of all, how are we going to do this? We, this was, we didn't have a computer. We had computers, but we couldn't track people with computers. Yeah. So we're going, well, how are we going to do this? And so we finally, I, I don't know who came up with the idea. I don't think it was me. It was in, on this committee now that I was in charge of. We said, oh, we could use a time clock, you know, and we could have like a little card that, you know, like you punched in and out. We could just buy these time clocks and put them at all the gates, and we could do a card called a Western Travel Pass is what it was called, and you just punch this in, and when you get five punches, you'd get $50 off your next flight. Okay, and so we bought these time clocks. We hid them under a little travel pass box, and it was a mechanical system, hmm. and we introduced it. And at the time, we were competing with two other airlines, uh, PSA, Pacific Southwest Airlines, okay. and United. Okay. And we, owned, we had about 20% of the market. And we started this program, and in 30 days, we had 80% of the market. Wow. So we said, wow. This is really a cool idea. Yeah. And our bosses said, yeah, that's a really cool idea. We want to roll it out to all 35 cities. Oh, boy. We're going 35 times how many time clocks. And we're, we're kind of, how do, we how do we do this mechanically? And then by that time, we had already decided that you could collect more than $50. You could collect up to 10 of these for $500. Okay. Okay. And so that's how the frequent flyer program started. It was, it was so we rolled it out, mm -hmm. and as we're rolling it out, we go sit down with our um, computer people and say, okay, well, how can we can make this a computer system? Could we give a person a card and could they enter this information? And they said, you know, this will take. I, I forgot the figure, but it was like 200 man years or 200 man years of computer. And I'm going. Okay, come on. Yeah, exactly, Trish. I'm going, how long is that? I mean, I'll be dead by that. <laughs> they said, well, we just don't have the computer power. So anyway, it was, okay, we'll do a mechanical. And we did mechanical. And, of course, that ran into a lot of problems. They didn't. They broke down and people sure. would double clunch. You know, I mean, oh. it, it, it became quite... It, we were, you know, it was not a good system. And by then, United, which we had taken all that traffic from them on this LA San yeah. Francisco, they go, well, we have this, we have the best computer system in the world, so we'll just introduce a computerized system. So they did, and then Continental introduced it, and everybody, American introduced it. They copied you. They copied, but they had a far superior system. And... Hmm. Um, 
So sometimes it just sometimes it just takes that one brilliant idea. Yeah. So anyway, but it was it was a car wash. I mean, it was that, and I think that's one of the things that I really learned uh, in marketing because a lot of people say, well, you know, how do people come up with new ideas? Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, the vast majority of ideas are not created new. It's a new interpretation of an old idea. Mm. So in other words, the you know, and if if, if even if you look at the last five or six years, you know. Amazon didn't invent buying. They didn't invent shopping. They, they just made it super easy. Exactly. They just reinvented, just like, um, you know, colleges, mm-hmm. uh, you know, online colleges. They didn't reinvent the college. They just said, there's a better way of delivering this. So yeah. I think that's the key is that, and then you're, you're discovering this right now in broadcast, mm-hmm. is that, okay, you're a journalist, and but you know it doesn't have to be over there. It can be in podcast. Right. It can be online. It can be Facebook post. So you know it's just like okay, how do we share Im- commun- information? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said that's the revolution. It's not that we're sharing information or stories. We're just doing it differently. We're doing it differently. Interesting. Yeah. All from a car wash. All from a car wash. Because you yeah. think about you know there's there's those great ideas out there. Um, and you kind of go, why did I think of that? You know? Yeah. And, it's, and you probably and have. Exactly, Trish. And most of us think of these, but we don't make that unexpected connection. Yes. So, you know, that's what I learned. Okay, we, you've always, to be creative, you always have to look for the unexpected connections. Mm. Look for the unexpected connection. Think of something and say, okay, is there a better way to do this? Is there a Love better it. way to, to and for us, and, but again, it was so interesting because I remember we did an analysis of um, the frequent flyer program mm-hmm. uh, and this guy in the finance department comes and says, well, you know, if we, if we keep this going for five years, um, we will basically, everybody will be flying for free because <laughs> we'll have so many people on the program. Yeah. And I remember, this is where I was wrong, I said, Nobody will do a frequent flyer program longer than five years. By 1985, those programs will be dead. And no, they're they're alive and kicking. I'm flying to Australia on frequent flyer miles. Look at you. <laughs> so does it feel good? Like when you booked that ticket on frequent flyer miles, does it feel a little good to you? Going, I I kind of started this. Well, I don't. You know, I I can't take quote singly. You know, I was on a team. Yes, right. I was certainly there at the beginning of the idea. It was you and Andy. Yeah, you, yep, me. <laughs> What's Andy's last name? Do you remember? Uh, Pitlick, Andy Pitlick. Unfortunately, he passed away about 10 years oh. ago. He was a, a chronic smoker, folks. Uh, you know, and I mean, like three packs a day. Oh. And um, actually, this is a side story. Andy and I get invited to BYU to judge the student ad contest. Uh-huh. So we fly to Salt Lake, which is one of our routes, and we go down to BYU. And we're standing there getting ready to judge. And I can't find Andy. And, you know, I mean, this is like the whole audience is waiting. The 20 participants are waiting. And I'm going, I don't know. I have to go, I'll go see if I can find Andy. Andy has been... <laughs> arrested by the campus police and BYU for smoking, smoking in the laboratory. Andy! And I am just beside myself because I'm thinking, you know, oh my goodness, you know, I'm, I'm going to get fired from, I mean, I'm supposed <laughs> to be, you know, 
I said, Andy, what are you doing smoking? This is BYU. You know, I mean, we can't even have coffee and you're smoking. That's hilarious. <laughs> so anyway, oh, I, love I, it. I finally tell him, I said, well, uh, you know, so I, we get him out of there. He goes, he goes in and we judge this, but it's hilarious. But Andy was a great guy. Sounds uh, like it. Wonderful man. But awesome. Um, I love, I love the fact that it was this very much a team thing, but yes. you know, as you were saying, these ideas, if you look, really look at them and analyze them, there aren't a lot of very new ideas. Exactly. Just old and there ideas. Some. With... There, there's, there's some, um, and, you know, and I'm just not smart enough or brilliant enough to actually come up with a, an entire <laughs> right. new idea. Well, Amazon's a great example. Yeah. Speaking of Amazon, yeah. I just, oh man. Exactly. You and just click, click. Click, click. Yes, the address. Yeah. Yes, this credit yeah. card. Thank you, Amazon. And exactly. two days later, it's there. And if you don't like it, you can send, I know. You just call them and they go, oh, here, print out this label, put it on. We'll pay for the shipping back at FedEx. And it's brilliant. It's gone, you know. Oh. And um, Not so, an advertisement for Amazon, no, but, but I sure do love Amazon. But that is exactly what, yeah. you know. So, you know, when businesses come to me over the years, I said, okay, just look at your business and then look at ways that you can rethink your business. Is there a better way to do what you're doing? Sure. You know? So when do you uh, get out of Western Airlines? So anyway, um, Western was, um, so Western was going to merge right. with, um, was going to merge with, um, well, so our frequent flyer program worked in 1980, June of 1980 actually was when it started. And it was working very well, but we still, you know, a lot of businesses, Trish, are either they're too small to survive, mm -hmm. and so they either have to merge, become bigger. Mm -hmm. In other words, they just can't get um, the size they need. And the airline business is very, very costly. I mean, you know, these yeah. planes are not cheap. Nope. And they can be moved instantly. So, you know, one of the things is that you might you might dominate Los Angeles San Francisco, but Continental or United could say, you know, I think I'll move the 10 extra planes we have, cut the fare in half, we'll outschedule them, cheaper fares, and we'll put them out of business. Wow. So Just like that. And that's what they do. Predatory yeah. pricing is alive and well in the airline industry. It still is. So anyway, we were struggling, and uh, I was on a, again on a, a secret team that was talking to Delta Airlines about merging. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't want to move to Atlanta because um, that's where you'd have to move. I'm a, I was a West Coast kid, you yeah. know, San Diego, Oregon. I just said, no, you know, I should uh, move to Oregon. And at that time, in the early 80s, one of the more popular TV programs was Bob Newhart's. Okay, remember he oh, ran- Oh, I remember, he, yes. Stephanie and him, and they yes. ran they ran a and b, a b or a yes, lot. Yes, they did. I thought, and he was a writer, remember? He had a, he was yes. a writer, and he and also- Wasn't it the Daryl and my other brother? Daryl and my other brother, Daryl. Daryl, okay. So okay. <laughs> I think I watched too many of those. <laughs> you wanted to be Bob Newhart? Yeah, so what I, <laughs> I was- had gone up to um, Eugene for uh, for an event, and I was driving home, and my first wife said, um, "Have you ever been to Jacksonville?" I go, "No, I've never been to Jacksonville." Okay. She says, "Well, I've been. To, you know, I've thought you would love Jacksonville because your relatives, uh, my." My grandfather, Dr. John Dennett, was a traveling circuit doctor in Arizona. Hmm. So he knew Doc Holliday. He knew Wyatt Earp. Uh, he knew all those people. In the what? Yeah. That's a whole different story. And um, Wait, so we got to tell that story. <laughs> well, so, 
So anyway, we drive through uh, uh, Jacksonville, and I say, wow, look at this place. And it was the Macaulay House, and it was a big, huge, white place. Beautiful. And uh, E.K. Meadows, these are the people. And I said, wow. I said, you know, we could move up here and start a B&B. Wouldn't that be cool? Mm -hmm. And uh, my first wife was an interior designer, and I'm a marketing travel guy, and I we love B&Bs. And I said, oh, and there weren't very many B&Bs in 1984. Mm -hmm. So we said, oh, well, let's do this. So let's make an offer contingency of the sale of our house in L.A. And they said, oh, they'll never take that, you know, because it's – but I said, well, let's just make the offer. So we made the offer. And uh, got home, and I called a realtor and said, okay, well, let's see about putting our house on, on the market. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the bottom line is that I had a confirmed offer for my house in L.A. in 72 hours after seeing the McCulley house in Jacksonville. It was Three meant days. to be, Mark. It was meant I to guess. be. I guess. So um, I go, well, I guess, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Let's move to Jacksonville. Isn't that interesting yeah. how, how that happens? You yeah. know, you end end one job and then poof, here's Ooh. another. Yeah. So You owned a B and B. I owned a B and B. Macaulay House. At the Macaulay House Inn, yeah. And so I we, we converted it to an inn and added a, a bed a couple of bedrooms and uh, baths and uh, how was that? Uh, it was one of the worst experiences of my life, but, <laughs> okay. but that's okay. Uh, you know, it was <laughs> wait, how so? Well, you know, um, a divorce and other things didn't help. Okay. Um, it, but, you know, running a and b is very interesting because um, I, I have a couple of friends that still run B&Bs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, probably the best friends are the ones, uh, Fred and Karen Wickman, up the Prospect Hotel. Okay. They're, and uh, they're, you know, they have a great product. Uh, but basically, it's a 24-7 yeah. job. And I r realized, even though I am an... Uh, extrovert and I love people, I can't do it 24 seven. Mm -hmm. I can do it five days, maybe six days, yeah. but I need a break. It's all the time. I can't do it all the time. Did, I can't do it every day. Did the divorce happen after you got the B&B? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you were doing this on your by yourself? Um, at first, uh, my wife and I were doing it together, okay. and then we got divorced, and then she ran it for a while. Okay. But then she didn't want to do it, and then I, I came in and, mm -hmm. and ran it. So that was, uh, there was about a six-month period there where mm -hmm. I had my own ad agency, and running a B&B, &B and also trying to actually see my son occasionally, which yeah. was... Challenging. Which he didn't see me a lot. So yeah. anyway, it was very challenging, and um, it was a very... These were very interesting days, you Yeah, know? I bet, I bet. Yeah. Okay, we have to get back to Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Okay. <laughs> you said this is your dad or your grandfather? It's my grandfather. Grandfather. So Dr. John Dennett, he got his uh, medical degree from Harvard and um, got tuberculosis. Okay. And this was the 1890s. And so he said, well, I can go to Arizona, and there I can become a, uh, you know, that would be great for my health. So he comes out to Why Ar Arizona? Because it was dry. Dry. And, okay. and the air and so forth. So he moves out to Arizona. And in 18, the 1890s, he really couldn't get a, a practice like in, in Phoenix. So he became a, what they call a traveling circuit doctor, very much like a traveling um uh, minister. Okay. So, okay. So what he does is he'd go to round all these mining camps, uh, mining towns. And, you know, on Monday, he, the doc's in, Dr. John is in there. And then on Tuesday, Dr. John's here and so forth and so forth. And one of his regular tours 
was um, Tucson, was um, Tombstone, Arizona. No way. Yep. And um, so one of his one of his uh, patients was a name a, a guy named Louis B. Gage, G A G E. By the way, that's the name of my sister, Gage. So that's going to tell you a little bit of the story. Uh-huh. So Louis B. Gage hired him to do because he had the major mine in Tombstone. Okay. So he was always there. And um, Louis B. Gage had a really, really cute daughter who ended up being my grandmother. So Dr. John asked uh, Louis B. Gage if he could marry her da- the daughter, and they said yes. And okay. so that's my connection to Tombstone. And um, Wow. Uh, so, so he knew? Oh, he knew Wyatt Earp. He knew Doc Holliday. He knew all of those people. And when I was growing up, I've always loved Western history. Okay, I'm kind of a Western movie fan. Um, he would always oh, tell me these great stories. Oh yeah, Doc, he was kind of a drunk, but he was a pretty good dentist, and you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, what was Wyatt Earp? Well, Wyatt Earp was really a. He had a you know he was kind of a nasty guy. I liked his brothers better, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I just found this so fascinating. For sure. Um, yeah. And didn't Doc Holliday? What did he die of eventually? Uh, to, uh, I. I'm was it tuberculosis? Sure. I thought it was tuberculosis, See, that's but what I'm I not sure. But he I'm definitely, not I'm not sure, you know, so, um, but yeah. Oh my gosh, that's the coolest story yeah. ever. Yeah, and actually, this goes back to my Western uh, days. So my very, very last interview to get a job at Western Airlines was with um, the president of Western Airlines. Mm-hmm. And um, he, so I was interviewing with him, and this just shows you, if you want a job, you use everything you can think of yes. to get everything. a job. Everything. And so I'm sitting there with this guy, and he goes, and I talk about, well, you know, I, I, my, my, my grandfather and my dad grew up in Arizona. He says, oh, you know, I was born in Tombstone, Arizona. No way. And I went, oh, that's very interesting. Um, Here's a story can, for you. Can you tell me what year that you were born? And he goes, oh, you know, 1909 or something. And I went, oh, I said, well, you know, my grandfather probably delivered you. He goes, who? I said, well, you know, just check. Dr. John Dennett, check your um, birth certificate. And um, so, you know, a day later he calls me and says, you know, you've got the job, but do you know that your grandfather did deliver me? Oh, my gosh. And I went, well, great. Well, thank you. I'm glad that, that he was available. And you remember you remember your grandfather and growing up with him oh, and yeah. all these stories. Yeah. That is so precious to yeah. me. So, but I, we were never very close because he was always in Arizona and yeah. either we lived on the, the East Coast or we lived in San Diego. So until his last few years, then he right. moved over to San Diego. And your grandmother's name was? Was uh, Gage. Louis, uh, uh, Cynthia, no, what was what was my grandmother? Sorry, I put you on the spot. It's terrible. I can't remember my. But it was, it was Louis... just. It was my gra- You call her grandma. Grandma. <laughs> grandma. Exactly. But it was Louis B. Gage's. Louis B. Gage is. If you look up in your books, or history books, <laughs> Louis B. Gage was the one that owned the major silver mine in in Tombstone. It's his daughter. And his daughter was oh. my my grand grandmother. And there is your history lesson yes. in episode <laughs> sixty two of Off Script. Yeah. I love it. Totally oh. off script, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. That's the whole point, though. These just kind yeah. of meander through your life, yeah. which has been super interesting. So this ad agency, local ad agency, how long did you have this? Uh, well, um, I didn't. Start started. I joined it. Joined um, it. Sorry. Uh, Ellen Kolobaugh, 
uh, started it. And um, so I met her at a wine function, and um, she says, "Oh, I'm, I love this story already." I'm starting. I'm starting an ad agency, <laughs> and I've got a creative director, Michael Lee, and. Uh, and other people, and you know, we kind of need an account person. And I said, well, I'm looking for a job. And okay. I said, you know, I, I, I could, I could join your, mm -hmm. your, you know, I, I couldn't find a job here. I had interviewed with um, one of your competitors, and um, so mm. I said, no, I don't think I want to sell advertising for a TV station. Right. Great job, by the way. I'm not knocking. I mm -hmm. just said no. Not for you. Just wasn't my. You know, I want to do more creative work, like writing stuff and producing stuff. And yeah. So, so was this the ad agency you were working for when you started doing the political polls? Yes. Okay. So Laurel Communications and. Um, because I had a real interest in research, uh, Laurel started a research kind of function. And at that time, I came to uh, KTVL and the Mail Tribune. And I said, yes. hey, why don't we do a, a, mm -hmm. a political poll? And so they both said, OK, we'll do one. And mm -hmm. that was really eye-opening, Trish, because here I'm a, just a little, tiny little company. And I run this poll. And we run two, I think we did two pre-polls. Yeah. And um, I was just stunned how nasty um, the Democratic and the Republican Party can be. Really? Because when this poll didn't support one of their candidates, yep. I was getting th literally threatening calls, national calls from the, the Republican National Party going, we'll put you out of business. You're such a little guy. We'll make sure you never have another job. And I said, hey, I'm just reporting you know, you need to change this. You cannot report this. Wow. And I got the same thing from the other side. So it's not, it wasn't one side. What year was this? this uh, I don't remember. You know? I want to say it was like more than a decade ago. Oh, yes, more than a decade. It was probably. Like maybe 2003 I, or four. 2004 yeah, was the presidential year. it was probably year. 2000, yeah, 2001. Two, I mean, it, I don't know how yeah. long, but yes. But it was, it was not recent. And f since then, I've done a couple of uh, political polls, but I really stayed away from them. First of all, we're not a, we're not, you know, we're not a Republican. We're not a Democratic. We're right. independent. Right. And you know, most of the people who politically want to do polls are aligned with some. There's an agenda. Agenda, and we never had that. Isn't it interesting though? This poll that where you were getting threatening emails and whatever uh, was early 2000s. And we are not only dealing with the same stuff today, it's even worse. It's even totally worse. Totally worse. I mean, I, but I mean, and these were truly uh, threatening phone calls. Yeah. Mails. Uh, Sorry, we have a newscast coming up. That's our, that's our, uh, <laughs> hey, get down here for a tease. Um, but yeah, yeah. So in political polls, I mean, I have no knowledge on these. Are they all science? Yes. Well, um, you know, I'm actually doing a series of talks right now called uh, on polling for the Rotary Clubs here. Okay. I'm kind of talking to different Rotary Clubs. And um, I'm talking about what's the problem with polling today. And um, most polls today, um, they just have an agenda because it depends on who sponsors them. But polls are, don't have to have an agenda. Mm -hmm. Political polls can be very, very... Uh, um, real and, and mm -hmm. you know, the, the problem with political polling or any kind of poll is that it's a snapshot in time. It's like today's 
view. Yeah. So for you to look at a view of, of the 20 something candidates for the Democratic Party <laughs> and say, we know who's going to beat Trump 14 months from now. Yeah. Is, is kind of, it's nice entertainment, but it's yeah. not science. So is the point then we should just look at these polls as like today in this moment, right here and now, and just as entertainment? Yeah, as entertainment. Yeah. It's fascinating entertainment. And, yeah. and you know, what, you know, and what could make this change or what kind of events will happen? Interesting. So, and, and you know, in a 24-7 news cycle, you've got to have something to talk about. Yes. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, please. <laughs> you've got to have something to talk about. You can't just keep. And so polls are really cheap. Yeah. Okay. okay. I mean, you can. And again, so when you look at an MS, like, for example, let's just look at an MSNBC poll or a, a Fox poll or anybody of those, you know, they're doing those polls basically by online with people who have subscribed to their channels. Mm -hmm. Now, why wouldn't, if you did a poll of Fox listeners or NBC, MSNBC listeners, mm -hmm. wouldn't they have a different agenda? A uh, thousand percent. Exactly, so it's like starting off the, you do not have a non-biased sample. Right. But I think intelligent people will look at a poll and go, oh, this is a Absolutely. snapshot. And I think you cannot, you know, Kingsley Kelly has always told me with TV ratings, we live and die by the ratings. So when they're good, oh, they're right, they're flawless, we love the ratings. <laughs> yeah. When we get a bad rating, oh, something must be wrong, something easily, there was a glitch somewhere. And it's the same with polling. You Absolutely. Know, we've yeah. heard our own president with a poll that's in his favor Best poll I've ever seen. Exactly, and so. oh, it's not. It's it's a flawed poll. No, and and the other thing that that people don't really realize that no matter what kind of poll you have, there's always a margin of error. Okay, mm -hmm. so statistically, and most polls you see nationally are plus or minus four percent, but most people think that four percent means that oh, if it's fifty, that means it must be the fifty-two or forty-eight. Okay, 4% difference. Mm -hmm. No, it's 4% more or 4% less. Okay. That's 8%. And for example, if you go back to the Hillary uh, Trump polls, uh -huh. um, no poll in the last two weeks of, um, of that campaign mm -hmm. thought she would win by eight points. Interesting. So she lost like 47. That was within the margin of error of the poll. But people didn't listen to that because they said, oh, she's got 53, you know, 54. Gotcha. But the margin of error was five. That means it could be 5% more than that or 5% less than that. And she, and those polls were actually quite accurate. I was just going to ask you, have you gone back to see some of the polls, either you've done or national polls or whatever, and said they were right on the money? Yes, yes. And the vast majority are. Interesting. If they're not... Um, it's because the, the sample they took it was wrong. And that was a lot of the problem with, um, with polling for the Trump uh, and the Hillary um, because most of those polls were polling more urban areas, mm -hmm. okay, because they were using online. And most rural communities don't have very good online services back okay. then, and they right. still don't. So... You know, you're going to have more urban, more West Coast, yeah. East Coast, big city in that sample. You probably underreported or have a sample of less people in North Dakota, South Dakota, Alabama, Louis. I mean, mm -hmm. all the places where Trump is, was stronger. 
So there was probably a bias in their sampling data. Interesting. Yeah. And you're still doing polling? Yes, we're still doing. In fact, we're just, um, t this afternoon, I'll be working on one that we just did for Brookings. Fantastic. Yeah. On Based on what? Uh, Brookings, a group of people in Brookings, uh, a task force, a volunteer task force, wants to create an event center in Brookings. Okay. And they hired us to find out if people in Brookings and the surrounding communities would be supportive of, of an event Interesting. center. Interesting. It's okay. all research. It's really. all research. And, you know, and so we're going to be able to say, well, as of today, they think this. Gotcha. Now, will they think this in two years from now when you, you know, have plans and uh -huh. money or you figure out how you're going to do this? We can't tell you that. Right. But we can tell you right now what people think. Because humans are fickle. They're fickle. <laughs> and, they, and they, and you know, uh, example I use, somebody said, well, you know, did, does somebody have... What would be what would be your thought about North Korea? Mm -hmm. Well, your opinion of North Korea would be very different than two days ago when Donald Trump met with the head of North Korea yes. on the border. That was an event. And one of the things you learn in marketing and public relations is that events create public opinion. You know, Trish, no one really has an opinion on everything mm -hmm. until an event creates mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems with 24-7 news is that this is a constantly changing event, mm -hmm. you know, and depending who you listen to or who you watch, that's an event. And so, you know, when you share the news every night, mm -hmm. you're creating a news event. Oh, boy. Okay. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it is a lot of pressure. And it's, it's, and I think you and others really take it seriously. And I think, uh -huh. by the way, I think local news takes it much more sensitive because they're closer to the people. Thank you. I, I've been saying that for like the last decade. I just feel like local news is different than national news. And please don't lump me into Fox News and MSNBC and, you know, CBS evening news, although I, I love it. I mean, I just... You're absolutely right. And, I'm, we're different. And I can't, I, I, obviously, I can't share some of the Brookings study, but we ask people where they get their news, mm -hmm. okay? And all I can tell you, without revealing anything, um, local news, local newspapers have a tremendous role mm -hmm. in local communities. Mm -hmm. They are respected more. They are honored more. Nice. They believe that they are less biased. Um, uh, so it, it's, it's, it's heartening if you're a broadcast yes, journalism major. Exactly. Yeah. Are you saying KTVL is popular in Brookings? Uh, well, we didn't actually track <laughs> KTVL, but we could do, do a study. Yes. We could do a study for you. <laughs> we could find out for you. <laughs> That's the poll I want to see, yeah. Mark Dennett. Do you consider yourself a numbers guy or do you think you're just more of a research guy? Well, it's interesting. Um, the head of my research division is a guy named Dr. Nick Lugy. Okay, mm -hmm. he has a PhD and he works for the University of Oregon. And um, Nick is the numbers guy. Nick is okay. the the reason I think our research firm has done quite well over the last uh, thirty years, uh, or at least since nineteen uh, two thousand. Is Dennett uh, Consulting Group started in like two thousand? Um, I think it's because. Um, we bring not only the real numbers, research numbers, math, okay. math, but my background in marketing, I know how to interpret numbers. 
And so the problem with most research that I see with businesses is that somebody does a beautiful job and gives you a 200-page report mm -hmm. with all these numbers, and you don't know what to do with it. No. I mean, you've just been overwhelmed I'd be with lost. data. Yeah. I mean, it's like super data, and you go, well, all right, but what does all this mean? Break it down to me like I'm a five-year-old. Exactly, and marketers know how to do that. Yes. Because that's how we communicate. We okay. communicate on the first grade level with most people. So I think we bring a very interesting combination of skills, and that's mm -hmm. why we have done very well, because people say, okay, I can tell you that our, it will be scientifically pure, but I will also tell you, of the 200 numbers we have, these are the 10 that are really important. This is what you have to look at. This is what you have okay. to look at. I love it. We are gonna wrap up, but I, I do think we sh there should be a poll in our future. Yes. A KTVL Mail Tribune poll. I'd love to. Again. Yeah. Now I think I, you know, I would have to, I'd have to, you know, put my armor on and and th thinking, because yeah, the the, the pressure, the national pressure. Uh huh. Um, and again, you know, I don't do political campaigns. The only one I actually have ever really well, I've worked on a couple of campaigns, but very seldom do do I do marketing with campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think Don Scundrick, uh -huh. uh, when he was running for county commissioner, to room, we're in a, we're in a news station, Good. okay. And um, but I remember that um, I was amazed that during his campaign for a local county commissioner. He was running as a Republican, mm -hmm. and I'm an independent. Mm -hmm. um, how much pressure the National Republican Party tried to tell him what to say and what oh to do. Oh, my gosh. I, I was just stunned. I said, well, why do they care? Right. Why do they care? I mean, he's a, frankly, I could make a good argument that county commissioners shouldn't be partisan. Mm -hmm. My goodness, they represent the entire county. I agree. Why, yeah, why are we voting in Republicans and Democrats? Exactly. We should just get point. The, the, the person that, and Don believes that, by the way. And, um, but, you know, that's the system, and the, you have to run as either a Republican mm -hmm. or a Democrat. And, and so forth, but it was amazing to me. So yeah. yes, I'd love to do a poll, but I bet the I bet the pushback will be sure even worse. Well, people, first <laughs> of all, be nice, and second of all, maybe keep your opinions to yourself Absolutely. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, all the mamas used to tell us if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's a good southern. That's yeah. a good southern Just statement. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the flavor, though, these days, especially in politics. You know, if if you're Republican, this is how you have to vote. If you're Democrat, this is how you have to vote. And I get it. We have voted these people in because their mindset is somewhat close to ours. Yeah. But wouldn't it be lovely to get to the day where we just elect people because we like their values and yes. who they are? Yeah. And we said, hey, this is what we want you to care about, whether you vote yeah. Far right, far left, whatever. Yeah, and, and, and in the middle. And wouldn't it be great if 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 we get back to a time where, where you know, we were just nice to each other mm -hmm. again? You know, I, I know. mean, you know, when I took this um, RV trip down to the south, you know, I was um, and I was visiting relatives and people I hadn't seen for years and mm -hmm. years and years and years. But I really did notice that the South, there really is a Southern hospitality. It is. It's there, true. It, it's real. You can feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, th th they may not agree with you politically, but, you know. They're, they're going to offer you a glass of sweet iced tea regardless. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're going to welcome you to that restaurant and they're, yep. they're going to be kind. And, you know, I don't know. You know, I think today we, we just think that... Um, I don't know. I, I, I think 
I think, you know, one of the things that, that my dad told me, you know, I was thinking of the things that, uh, what, what have I learned in my life? What has managed my life? And one of them was my dad once said to me, you know, nothing has more value than personal integrity. Mm. And, you know, Amen. I have tried to run my life that way. Mm -hmm. I, I hopefully my sons and my stepsons have done, done that also. But, you know, personal integrity, you, you know, you have, I think you have personal integrity. Well, thank you. I try. And, and I think most people have personal integrity. And mm -hmm. when we get to a point, regardless of, I question the personal integrity of many of our elected officials, and I'm not arguing about the Republicans versus the Democrats. I, I have seen many Republicans and Democrats that have personal integrity, but I have also seen many that don't. That don't, yeah. And don't, and that's sad. And if we really sat down, we would realize that there's more that brings us together than divides us. Oh, absolutely. Us. And, so. uh, you, know, you know, this is one of the cute stories about going back to Roosh. Uh, camp, uh, so I was, a, I was a soccer coach for 10-year-olds. So if anybody knows Rouge, back in 1984, uh -huh. Rouge is a pretty hippy dippy. I mean, it's basically, mm -hmm. you know, it, they were growing, they were growing it back in '84. Yeah. And so my one of the persons on my team was named Sunshine, and he was a great player. And I saw his his parents, long hair, classic '60s hippies. Love it. Uh, and then I had others that I looked at them, and they have short hair. They're obviously working for some corporate office. Mm -hmm. So I looked at this whole audience in Rouge, and they went from literally '60s hippies to very conservative people. You know, they all wanted the same thing. They all wanted their kids to have fun. Mm. They all wanted their kids to participate. And they all wanted their kids to have a wonderful time. Yeah. And they all did. And yeah. the team, you know, we didn't do well. But uh, so I thought, oh, wow, isn't that cool? Is we all can find things we do agree with. Absolutely. You know. Every day. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I just think we do. And I think what we do is... Um, you know, I, I, I can't believe that we don't want um, a better immigration system. I mean, if, I think if I did a poll and uh, if I did a poll and asked a question, do you want a better immigration system? I bet we'd get 99% people saying really? yes. Hmm. Now, how, what is a better immigration system? Completely different question. It is a very different question. Yeah. And frankly, that's where the debate should be. The debate shouldn't be, we don't want these people or we do want these people, that's ridiculous. The point is that we should have immigration. We're a country that ran, I mean, that was built on immigration. On immigrants, yeah. You know, my, my yeah. you know, the original uh, Dennett's came over in, on the Mayflower, or actually right after the Mayflower, and, and you know, we let you all in. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't close the door behind us. We said, okay, no. fine, we'll let you in, you know. And so we, how can a country that's built mm -hmm. on immigration actually believe that we shouldn't have immigration? No, we should, but it, sh it has to be managed. It has to be Better controlled. systems in place. And, and we just don't want to, we don't want to come to that debate. And I think that's sad. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, okay. off the subject. Oh, it's, hey, off script. <laughs> off script. That's what we're doing here, Mark. Okay, let's get to the final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given. You know, the best advice that I was ever given, besides my father's advice I just shared. Which is about personal integrity. About personal integrity. Mm -hmm. But the best advice was 
uh, one of my early bosses said, you know, Mark, you will always be paid more for your ability to work with people than any knowledge you will ever have. Hmm. And I think that's probably the best piece of advice is that none of us work alone. None of us work in an isolated world. We all have to work with others. Mm -hmm. And so your ability to work with others is far more important than any knowledge mm -hmm. or training or skill you have. Can you work with other people? Interesting. I'm yeah. good at working with other people. Uh, well, and, and it shows. And at Kingsley is. Okay? Oh, you know. he's the people person oh, of all absolutely. people and, persons. And so, you know, yeah. does he have knowledge? Of course he has not. Do you have, we all have learned something. Yeah. We haven't just been carrying our lunch to school, mm -hmm. you know. And But uh, I think that's really the key. You know, we look at our kiddo who's 20, and he you know, looks you in the eyeball when he talks to you, he shakes your hand, he works well with others. And I say all the time, we say all the time, like, he's gonna be fine. Yeah. He's gonna be just fine. He's gonna be fine. Because you can work well with others. With others. You can and play well with others in the sandbox. Exactly, and so, you know, how many times when you, when you were a little kid, you go, you know, they, they should really play better together. Yeah, you know? for sure, I love it. Anyway. Um, if you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, what would bring you back here? What would you miss the most? Well, actually, uh, I can tell you because I just got back here. So six, Did you? So for six years, I lived in Central Oregon. Um, really? Yeah, we had a vacation home in Central Oregon for over 20 years right outside of Sun River, kind okay. of between Lapine and Sun River on the Deschutes River. I Ugh. loved it. Just gorgeous. And um, yeah, Why'd you come back? No, I'm just kidding. Well, th uh, that's a good question. Uh, so six years. After we sold a house, we said, well, why don't we just kind of semi-retire over there? I can work from any place, mm -hmm. you know, have a phone and have a computer or I'm yeah. working. Um, but six years, we just decided that we missed, um, we missed spring. Mm. We were getting a little tired of winter because they Central Oregon really has a winter. They really do winter. Yeah, yeah. Real good yeah. out there. <laughs> I, I was laughing because someone said, "What did it? Does it snow in uh, Southern Oregon?" I said, "Yes, we moved back to Ashland in February, and, and it did snow, but in Central Oregon, but in Ashland." You're talking snow for a day and a half. Right. And in Central Oregon, you're talking 90 days. Right, <laughs> right. Lots of snow. Yeah. So anyway, but I came back primarily um, just because I, I love Southern Oregon. Uh, and I love the I love the, the weather. I love, we have many friends here. Mm -hmm. I, I have grandkids here now. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to be more involved with my grandkids. And um, I'd like to actually see my son occasionally, but mm -hmm. he's a very busy guy. <laughs> he is busy. Well, welcome back. Thank you. I just moved back. Okay. Uh, final meal and final drink, what would that look like? You know, that, that's tough because years ago I would have said my final meal would be, would be like um, prime rib. Mm -hmm. um, but now I've kind of decided that I love salmon. Mm. And so, you know, I would probably say, could I have a, could I have a mixed plate? Could I have some salmon? Yes, you and can. And prime rib. Yeah. And maybe some tofu Stir fry. <laughs> okay, a, wait, what? Because I like that too. So the point is, I guess one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, and my my wife is a wonderful cook. And so my mother was a terrible cook. Okay, <laughs> now, uh, she used to tell me she's raising me in supervised neglect. <laughs> and um, so, you know, was when I, I remember coming to her and saying, you know, I have laundry that needs to be cleaned. Great. There's the washer. There's the soap. Yep. Go ahead. Wash it. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm hungry, Bum. Great. Uh, there's the refrigerator. Uh -huh. There's whatever. Fix whatever you want. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm out playing golf. Okay. Or I'm going something else because uh -huh. my mother was a very outdoors woman. 
sailor and everything. Wow. And, uh, so, um, but anyway, so I think that uh, I've just, you know, I, I don't know what I would do, but I, I learned that I love a lot more food. Uh-huh. And, oh, there's, you know, to me, I don't know about you, but I was raising meat and potatoes. Yep, you know? same, a and, little bit. And barbecue, and uh-huh. that's it. Salmon and prime rib and tofu stir-fry sound delicious, though. <laughs> exactly. So, so Maybe in courses, though, not all courses. on the same plate. No, I think they have to be in courses. Of course. Know? Probably of course. The, the stir-fry would make a nice little, like, salad kind of thing. You know? Yes. So, anyway. Well, thank Mark you. Dennett, I want to thank you for the humor. I want to thank you for your stories. I think my favorite one of all the stories in Offscript has to be the Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday story. <laughs> I just love that. You should tell that every day. Um, and thank you for the thought-provoking little nuggets well, of wisdom. You. I'm going to go back and write some of those down because I really liked it. Well, thank so you. thanks for sharing your stories today. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. But we're also on several other platforms like Google Play and Stitcher. Check out the video portion of this podcast at ktbl.com. Just click on Features and then off script one more time. Mark Dennett, no official title, Mark Dennett. Thank you so much. Thank you.